0: After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. OK, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby! Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please moving. please moving. play oh, the you're not oh, see i got to this made a mistake. I think I'm bang on there. And Okay, gentlemen, play ball! Watch your hair! Good jacking, guys! And good play! We're into the beginning of August, and that, of course, means it's hockey season, right, Josh? Yes, which is bizarre, but yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> bizarre, but in the most wonderful way. Absolutely. That after months of cause and everyone doing the right things and getting us to this point we are now able to say the nhl postseason sort of kinda qualification round robin tournament is underway in edmonton and toronto and yes already i'm 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 also happy to say is we have a lot of case study items to discuss on this week's edition of the scudding the refs podcast isn't that nice for a change it is it's nice to have hockey to
1: talk about to to respond to and to try to figure out what exactly has been going on out there and there has
0: been a lot Sure has. The Scouting the Refs podcast is powered by Team Stripes, your source for officiating equipment, training tools, and much, much more. Check them out online. GoTeamStripes.com is the website. GoTeamStripes.com. We welcome your feedback and comments through social media channels. Follow Josh on Twitter and Instagram, at Scouting the Refs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Todd Lewis Sports. And of course, our email bag is always open. Hey, Ref, At scoutingtherefs.com. And we do have a question that we'll get to shortly. We want to talk a little bit about life in the bubble. There's been a lot of circumstances on the ice in games that we have seen. We have had discipline imposed. We have questions about calls on the ice and so much more. Life just feels a little more back to normal right now, I think, Josh. (laughs) It does. It does. It's
1: been nonstop hockey. I'm feeling like I'm, I'm getting used to this. I'm, I'm enjoying it to have a full day and, and not have those competing games, which is really cool because you, you really get to appreciate each game and watch them all, you know, rather than having a whole bunch stacked up at 7 p.m. as would be typical during the playoffs. So I, I've appreciated that. I've really enjoyed having days full of hockey. I don't know that my family has, <laughs> but, but it's, been, uh, it's, it's been really cool and
0: a nice opportunity. A great way to bring hockey back i i think this might be i suggested this idea that perhaps in the future we look at some late afternoon starts for say in the first round of the postseason in years ahead when we have a a more normal hockey season say you had games at four seven and ten p.m eastern how would you feel about that on a regular basis i'd
1: love it i think it might be a bit early for the west coasters but I think it's great to have that, and you know, to have those national games when you've got everybody sitting down and watching it, and to have one of those at each time slot, I think it's a, a phenomenal thing for the league, and I think it's a pretty cool experience, especially on social media, because everybody's tuning into the same game. So if you're on Twitter and you're following along, The discussion is about that one game that's happening and you can get a lot of interaction there. I think I think it's a lot of fun and it makes for some fun ride alongs with the refs during the games because Mm -hmm. you've you've got people commenting on the calls and discussing them. And and because everyone's watching that same game, I think you have a much, much more in depth and, and detailed conversation with all the hockey fans
0: in the few days that the nhl has returned we have seen a lot of action on the ice we've had two penalty shots in one game we had a buzzer beater goal we've had a video reversal of a penalty call we've had supplemental discipline and so much more i do want to get to all of those topics and a few other things but let's get to the email question first from jared robertson who noticed that the linesmen were dropping the puck at center ice after a goal was scored and we thought that some folks might need a little refresher, a little reminder that some things had changed at the start of the season, which was quite some time ago. And this is one of them. The referees had a little
1: lighter load starting at the beginning of the season. <laughs> they only dropped pucks three times during the game now. The referees drop the puck at the start of each regulation period. Every other faceoff. After a goal, starting overtime, any other situation is now handled by the linesman. So pretty interesting change by the league. It gives the referee a better angle to watch what's going on at the faceoff and call any necessary penalties. And it makes it a skill that is more focused on something the linesmen do more frequently in dropping the puck. So hopefully it results in better puck drops throughout the game or, or more consistent ones because that's something that these guys have handled the majority of the time anyway. So yes, new change for the start of this season, but that was a long time ago. So, you know, we won't fault anyone who who missed that one, but good eyes on picking up that it is linesman dropping the puck now.
0: Nice work, Jared. Okay. A few other things to get into. There have been stories in the last day or so about the number of penalties that have been called in the first few days of the NHL return to play. Give me your thoughts, your feelings on the, the standard of enforcement. I, I don't think that I have noticed a crackdown in any way, shape or form. I I personally like the standard that is being enforced. And I, I think this has more to do with the players than it does the officials on the ice.
1: I think you're right, Todd. And there's two components to me. First of all, is everybody thinks that penalties go down in the playoffs. And that's typically not the case. In the first round of the playoffs, we actually see more penalties than we usually do in the regular season, and sometimes it's because you have teams piling up penalties at the end of a game to send a message for the, the following game. But as a whole, penalty minutes don't necessarily go down in the first round. Things get tighter later on, and, and there we see more of a, a pronounced decrease. So I think that's the first part. But it's not exactly a transition from regular season to playoffs. With the long layoff that we've had, it's, it's more like the start of the regular season. And that's a time when players are a little rusty, they're a little slow. And, and when you get caught, when you get behind, you go for those interference penalties, you go for a hook, you go for a hold. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot of. So I don't think there's really been a, a significant change to the standard. What I think it is, like you mentioned, it's it's the players desperately trying to keep up when you, you, you can't catch up or you're out of game shape. And I'm not intending that to be a negative, but I just mean you're getting back into the flow of things and full speed. And sometimes you you need those desperation penalties to try to prevent a goal. And I think that's what we're seeing, but I am happy that it does appear to be consistent across the games and the series. So I think we're seeing a little bit more of that. And and I know some games end up piling up the PIMS, but I have seen a little bit better consistency in games in the series and across series, even in the separate bubbles.
0: And I think having all of the officials in the in the in the bubbles as well, there's a, a a camaraderie that occurs. They have more interaction with one another and there's greater communication that they can share. Hey, this is an experience I had. Is this something that you've seen? And I think that helps result in, in greater consistency across the the games.
1: Oh, for sure. You know, typically you've got ref pairs and linesman pairs and they'll talk with the series supervisor about the the game previously and about the game that's coming up. And that's about it as far as overlapping communication. With the bubbles, you can grab all five pairs of refs and all five pairs of linesmen in the room together and you can talk about, hey, here's what happened at this game last night with these calls. Here's what we saw over here. And they can really level set that standard. And it's something that they've been doing during the the pause and even during what would be their training camp of you know reviewing calls, sending out Zoom quizzes, doing that level setting to make sure they're all on the same page. But to be able to do it in person is a unique thing for this return to play with the bubbles and I, I think it's working out to the league's benefit
0: that's a really good point you make and uh, you, you want to know another area I think that it's helped and I think it's working very well is when play comes to an end and what do they call it sometimes there's a gathering of opposing players often around one of the nets a scrum I believe is what yes. they re- they refer to it as but I I think the officials are handling that particularly well they're they'll communicate and say all right that's enough move along there's nothing more to see here but if the if the intensity is jumps just up over the boiling point things get a little too heated there's that extra shot that's when the penalty is called and i think that's that's been handled really well so far
1: i agree i think it it it's been something that we've heard a lot of and the mics and the lack of crowd noise or at least actual crowd noise has gone a long way towards picking up some of that communication but you can really hear it this postseason of how much the officials are, are letting the guys know what's going on whether it's those scrums and you know next next guy that goes in I'm, I'm sending you guys to the box or the the Kelly Sutherland play when he called a penalty for a player not wearing his helmet and he's chirping at him the whole time telling him to go yeah. to the bench and you can really get a little snap and I, I know the league doesn't feature it in the games but sometimes you can hear it uh if you're paying close attention of how much the officials are, are trying to help these guys out and let them know where the line is before they blow the whistle to call that penalty.
0: There's a good NHL refs mic'd up feature on the scoutingtherefs.com website that you should check out. It'll give you a good indication of the kind of communication that takes place out on the ice. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It is powered by Team Stripes. It's your source for training tools, apparel, and much more, all the officiating equipment you need. GoTeamStripes.com is the website. I want to get into a couple of specifics that we have seen in games so far. Uh, let's go back and talk about the Drake Kajula hit in the Edmonton Oilers and Chicago Blackhawks game. That that seemed like it was a no-brainer to me. The suspension has now been served, but that that was an easy call for the Department of Player Safety.
1: Yeah, I think that one that was an obvious one. There's there's no way you're you're letting him off the hook for that play. It's a one game suspension. I, I don't think it deserved any more than that, but it's one that you, you can't let it go. And it was unfortunate that there wasn't a penalty called on the play or mm-hmm. more correctly that the, the penalty called on the play was shooting the puck over the glass. But that's another story. Uh, but I think the league made the right decision there. <laughs> I think player safety uh, handled that one properly. It's, it's not the kind of play you want to see in a game and, and it is dangerous.
0: The other situation there was no suspension given that had to do with michael furland and the use of his stick in the spearing fashion into the minnesota wild bench he was fined five thousand dollars and uh, uh luke cunning i believe who was uh, also fined in that incident personally I would have suspended Furlan. He was he was feeling feisty right from the drop of the, the puck in that game. And that was a pretty nasty use of the stick. It, it absolutely was. And remember when I said things we don't want to see that are dangerous
1: in hockey games? This was absolutely one of them. This had no bearing on the play. There was no play on the puck. There was no action on the ice. Sure, you don't want to have a guy grabbing a stick from the bench, but you can't have dangerous spearing like that. And, and for it not to be called as a spearing penalty was a a bit of a disappointment. And then for there not to Mm -hmm. be a suspension on top of that, you know, I think I was, I was a little frustrated with that. I understand there's a fine. The fines are monetarily insignificant for these guys, but you know, jabbing your stick at a guy on the bench for whatever reason is, is something that has no place in hockey. I know he was frustrated. I know, like you mentioned, he was, he was fired up all game, but you look at this one incident and see what happened here. And to me, If I were making player safety decisions, this would be something where I said this was nothing to do with hockey action. This was a violent act. And you're sitting for at least a game because I really see those dangerous non-hockey plays as the kinds of things that the league wants out of the game and easily with some more punitive discipline could uh, remove them or have a better shot of removing them from the game.
0: Perhaps this is something that could be revisited once this season is done. It's already illegal for a player on the ice to have interaction with a player on the bench and vice versa. Maybe there needs to be a stiffer penalty for that to begin with. And and if a spear is involved, well, then the suspension becomes obvious.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good point especially when you're looking at something like spearing. And, and I feel like it's one of those that, you know, if you're calling it and the guy makes contact, you're looking at a, a major penalty in a match or, or yeah. you're looking at a major penalty in a game misconduct or a match penalty if the guy's injured. So I think sometimes, you know, it makes you hesitate when it's that significant of a penalty. But as of this season, the officials do have the ability to review those major penalty calls. And if it was called that way, they could take a second look at it and see if, if maybe they were wrong, but I, I wouldn't be against those guys erring on the side of heavy penalization when it comes to something like spearing.
0: You have segued beautifully into our next topic because many despise video review and all that it represents but let's talk about video review and the good that it does and there is an awful lot of it such as reversing penalties that were called inadvertently, such as a a high stick against one Zach Cassian of the Edmonton Oilers.
1: Oh, yeah, that that was a fun one. I think (laughs) back to those rule refreshers. I think some folks forgot that they could do that. Yeah, but the, the double minor was called. The officials took a second look at it and wiped that penalty off the board. Now, when they review a double minor for high sticking, they have the option of either confirming that call or wiping it out completely. If the stick was a teammate stick, which in this case, it it was a teammate stick that connected. So the officials looked at it. They chose to eliminate the penalty because of the stick infraction, as they should have since it was friendly fire in this case. And it worked well. And it, it basically resulted in, hey, we got the call right in the end. And it was because of video review.
0: Yeah, see, video review is good. Not all bad, there is good. And another incident, we spent a lot of time in this Edmonton Chicago series, so let's shift over and talk Colorado now. And Nazem Kadri with the buzzer beater without video review down to the 10th of a second, we wouldn't know for sure if that was a game-winning goal or not. Hey, kudos to the officials. They called it a goal on the ice,
1: right? And uh, it was was a tight one. And it was an exciting play in it. Nothing like having a buzzer beater. But they they got it right. Dan O'Rourke signaled a goal on the ice, and and he knew with the clock and the horn sounding right away that that was going to get reviewed automatically by the league, and it did,
0: and uh, they, they confirmed the call. Nice work by everyone involved there. This is the Scouting the Rest podcast. He's Josh. I'm Todd. Follow us on our social media channels. To follow Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and on Instagram. Follow me. It's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram as well. Another play that we do want to talk about has gotten an awful lot of attention in the last 24 or so hours is a play involving Jake Muzzin, defenseman for the Toronto Maple Leafs, in game number two of the Leafs against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Late in the game, Jake Muzzin and the Leafs are trying to defend their lead against an aggressive Columbus Blue Jackets team. Now, Jake Muzzin winds up on the ice and injured. They weren't sure exactly how serious it was, at least on some of the broadcasts at first, before the referees blew the play down. Muzzin spent several moments on the ice before a stretcher came out. He was loaded up and taken to hospital. Thankfully, he has been released. He is rejoining the team. He's going to miss the rest of this series, but it doesn't look like there is any serious injury. Now, the start of this play has to do with a bit of a cross-check or a bit of a shove on one side of the ice behind the net. Muzzin tries to continue to move forward and play the puck out of the Maple Leaf zone. He then falls and stumbles and has a collision where his head contacts the leg of another Columbus player and he falls to the ice. So I I think maybe we kind of go through this piece by piece, Josh, and we see this little shove, little tap, little cross check in the back so many times in the NHL. And I guess it becomes a question of level of enforcement. This was not a push into the boards. This was not that kind of dangerous play, but it's a very common play in the NHL. It, it certainly is. I've seen
1: that play come up a handful of times so far in the playoffs. And there were a few occasions when I thought the player going down was going to be seriously injured and, and he popped right back up. So a lot of it depends on just how the player impacts the boards and and what happens. And sometimes it's the player leaving his feet or his skates get tangled up in the process. So it's, it's almost like rolling the dice. You know, they deliver that cross check pretty frequently and most times guys come out unscathed. but there are times when you have a serious injury that results and it's always a dangerous play. It's, it's one where, you know, nobody is surprised at their positioning. You're doing this near the end boards. You you know the guy's going to collide into the wall, and it's it's just a matter of trying to do it to take him out of the play or to deliver a hit. You're not trying to injure a guy, and I, certainly that wasn't happening in this case. There was no intent no. to injure here, but it is one of those dangerous plays that we see quite frequently, and, and when it goes bad, it, it can go very, very bad.
0: I, I think, though the result of this was a combination of a number of circumstances it wasn't strictly the the minor minor if you will cross check from behind on jake muzzin it did cause him to to stumble forward a little bit but he was he was skating parallel to the goal line so he fell and kind of contacted his knees as i watched the video again just a little while ago it looks like he's trying to get back up on his skates and continue to play the puck to try to clear the zone because it's late in the game and I don't know if he if he toe picks or kind of catches his foot in the in the rudder where the ice meets the boards but it looks like that caused him to stumble once again And that's where the the contact with the second Columbus player occurred. That's precisely what
1: I saw, Todd. A a bit of a toe pick or catching a skate edge there as he was trying to prop himself up and and follow the puck along there. As soon as his skate caught, he popped out and up and dangerously into Bjorkstrand, who is lucky he didn't get injured on the play by that collision. Mm -hmm. Uh, The NHL, I think, captured it properly, calling it a a freak incident because it it really was. If his skate doesn't catch there, he slides along the dasher and, and probably... Uh, that that second part and that that additional collision never happens.
0: Right, and and this is where those that are 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 outraged at everything say, oh, that's a, a terrible play and that should never be allowed to happen and there should be zero tolerance for a stick contacting a player in the back that's all well and good, but so are unicorns and rainbows. And I don't think that's realistic.
1: <laughs> it's not. It's it's something we've seen in the game. You go back to the 90s and you see how many guys had their lower backs just decimated while mm-hmm. positioned in front of the net on the power play there. And it, it's something that you mentioned earlier, Todd, when we first started talking about this. It's, it's the degree, it's the amount of force or violence, and it's the amount of dangerous situation that you're creating by that hit that I think is is paramount when it comes to are you calling a penalty in this case? And there are times when it's extremely violent or it, it's really pushing a guy into an extremely dangerous situation when the, the penalty gets called. But I think it's something that up to a certain level, it's been allowed, it will continue to be allowed, but it, we, just, we need to catch those ones when it, rises above that threshold. I don't think this was one of those cases, but I think the league does a, a pretty good job of finding those and, and penalizing appropriately.
0: I, I agree. And again, I'm this is not victim blaming, but it it's the actions of Jake Muzzin after that initial hit that also contribute, I think, to the ultimate injury.
1: Yeah. It was it was unfortunate. And and again, I don't I don't think what happened is what he was intending to do. He was focused on the puck. Yeah. He was focused on trying to move it and the ice is is crazy. It typically, but with all the use that it's seeing right now with some, some ruts and some things along the boards there, it just, his skate edge just caught it. And I think it propelled him in a direction he was not expecting. So uh, as much as he was trying to make a play, what happened with his skates is not what he was intending, which forced him into a spot that he hadn't planned on going at all. And that was right into Oliver Bjorkstrand.
0: And fortunately, as we mentioned, Jake Muzzin has been released after being checked out. He is going to miss the balance of the Columbus Blue Jackets Maple Leafs uh, play-in series, but he will be able to hopefully return in the not-too-distant future. Okay, I want to end this edition on a really nice note. We know that players and NHL officials and and the league officials and, and coaches and everyone are both sequestered in bubbles in Toronto and in Edmonton. I don't know if you caught this, but there was a little social distance birthday celebration the other day for NHL linesman Greg Dvorsky. Did you see this? I didn't uh, I
1: didn't see it. I heard about it. We've had some power outages here, so it's been a little spotty lately. But I did hear about his his birthday uh, and, and happy birthday to Greg Dvorsky, who was standby for the game and had his brother working as the supervisor. So I'm sure they get to spend some time together with with that one. But I did hear that a, a cake was delivered or attempted to be delivered.
0: Well, here's here's the other part of it. Is Gord Miller, who is who's working on the, the telecast for NBC in in the United States, tweeted out a photo. Greg Dvorsky getting a social distance birthday visit from his wife Shauna and their dog Nexus the other day. Uh, I I just think that it's it's great that this was able to happen. Social distancing practice. Everybody stayed you know at least six feet apart or two meters apart. But there's there's a, having that little bit of sense of normalcy. That, that the referees and linesmen are going to be able to get as well, also, also the off-ice officials we should mention for all the work that they're doing as well. But it's nice that they're getting some of these little comforts and able to make the life in the bubble a little more bearable.
1: Absolutely. And I think it shows you how confident the league is in their bubble policies and and how strict they've been of knowing what situations they can allow and and certainly what they can do within those parameters to facilitate this, I think was huge. It's it's nice to have those personal touches. It's nice to have those things, especially when you're stuck in that bubble. And hopefully you're stuck in there for a long time because it means you're working your way to the Stanley Cup finals. So I I think that's that's great. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, probably a nice surprise for Dvorsky on his birthday.
0: Yeah, and Greg is one of the top linesmen in the NHL, so he will be there for a while. I, I would expect, but just kind of a nice way to wrap up this edition, and and we've got more multi-game days ahead of us as the NHL return to play continues. I'm so excited. This is this is such a welcome bit of hockey that we're getting after so long. I'm 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 just happy that we're all able to enjoy it, and 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 we get to continue to enjoy it for a number of weeks yet.
1: The Scouting the Refs podcast is powered by Team Stripes, your source for officiating equipment, training tools, apparel, and more. Check it out, goteamstripes.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Scouting the Refs podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Scouting the Refs, Instagram at Scouting the Refs, and visit scoutingtherefs.com.